0: Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Thanks for tuning back in and welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is your host, Ryan Tansom. And today we're going to be talking about the role of a company's technology and infrastructure in mergers and acquisitions. Jake Kent is on the show today and he's a Navy vet. He's an entrepreneur and founder CEO of two fast-growing information technology companies, JCMR Technologies and Chief Acquisition Lifeguard. Jake's got a super interesting background. He scaled a company from 0 to 50 million in revenue in 2 years with 35 employees and then sold it. He's been in technology for 27 years, sold his business and had six company integrations that taught him what was missing in the mergers and acquisition process and how to assess risk as it relates to the value of an acquisition and fetching the highest valuation if you're going to sell. He also got his exposure into the risk of technology and how it relates to valuations and finance because of his involvement in the founding of a bank, which gave him huge insights into the IT securities market. And what we mean by what role technology and infrastructure plays is we're referring to the actual infrastructure and technology stack that a company uses to operate their business, not some huge AI system or intellectual property or some app that someone developed, but we're talking about the technology that runs a business and the infrastructure that runs a business. So much risk lies within a company's IT infrastructure. One, on the ability to grow and scale the company and make sure that the infrastructure is set up to support the compliance, the growth, the security issues, the productivity, the friendliness that the users need to use the technology with, and really truly be able to support that growth and the capacity of that growth not only from a software application, but also from an infrastructure point of view, but also on the opposite side of how technology could literally put a nuclear bomb inside of a company. We all know the things that are going on today with the pipeline hack and all the different challenges that security and the technology that is outdated and or just vulnerable, how that can destroy a company in one split second. Even if you have a great strategic plan, great financials and great profit, there's so much reliance on that infrastructure of the business. And risk is directly correlated to the value you should pay if you're looking to acquire or the value you're trying to get in order to sell your company at the highest enterprise value. The risk is tied to the value, period. And by identifying where the risk lies, we can de-risk our company for looking to sell or we can spot the risk if we're looking to buy to make sure that we're paying fair market value for the asset that we're looking to buy. Another huge component other than just assessing risk is about how to integrate a transaction. So if you're looking to acquire, how do you make sure that you're taking that acquisition and then taking that entire company and putting it onto your infrastructure, integrating it and yielding the internal rate of return that you need to make it worth the purchase. And if you're looking to sell, you have to be thinking about what that buyer is going to do in order to take your operations and then suck it up into the mothership to make sure that they're getting the rate of return that they need on the purchase of your company. So yes, we're going to be getting into the weeds today and I have just a guest in order to speak to this topic. Without further ado, here's my interview with Jake Kent. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Good morning, Jake. How are you? Morning, Ryan. How are you? Doing good. I was just—we uh, were just having some uh, conversations about how we are both are from the same industry, so we'll try and stay away out of the the geeky IT lingo. That's bringing me back to my old family business, but uh, I think we're going to tie this to why everybody should be listening to this and how it relates with, with buying and selling companies and uh, all the things that go perfect with technology during an acquisition.
1: Right, Jake. Definitely. You know, if anything you're wrong, it's going to be the technology. And, you know, over the years, um, you know, I've actually uh, focused a lot of time actually bridging that gap um, with the technology for uh, mergers and acquisitions. So uh, I'm excited to actually, you know, spend some time with you today, Ryan, and, you know, go through and uh, hopefully this is beneficial to your audience. So let's uh, let's take people
0: through a little bit of your timeline. So give us a little bit of your background. Like, how is uh, how are, is it that you're positioned to talk about technology as it relates to integration and, and once you're an acquired company? Because you've been through some of this yourself. So give us the timeline. We can unpack uh, some of the other parts of the
1: story. Sure. So I've been in IT for 27 years. Uh, started back in what the 90s. So um, actually, I started an IT business in the uh, late 90s sold that off um in the early 2000s and you uh, helped a a larger organization actually uh, do a post merger integration with six companies so oh wow de- definitely learned a lot around around that and o- overall you know, what to look for post merger integration and all the pain points that come along with that and and the afterthoughts uh, that obviously everyone um well not everyone hopefully but uh uh, a lot of the uh, the interactions I have is the you know, afterthought of technology and you know, technology uh, not being something that um, was actually looked at during the uh, acquiring phase. You know, they, looked, they looked at all the finance systems and applications and culture and all those things. And you know, then they got into the acquisition and it's like, oh, wait, everything's supposed to talk. So yeah, that's what kind of doing. Two
0: CRMs, I- two earpieces and two <laughs> financial accounting packages like two networks so it's all gonna be perfect and no
1: one has any opinions about how any of this stuff should work right <laughs> yeah n- none at all none at all so uh yeah so uh you know going through that that was quite an experience i actually uh, stayed on with that company for about four years uh, before I, ro- yeah before i rolled off and you know had to actually get started on some entrepreneurial stuff again so i actually ended up starting a, a bank here in charlotte north carolina and, uh, <laughs> no way yeah, sat on the board of that for about seven years, and uh, yeah, as part of that, you know, I, I led the IT initiatives as far as you know, getting things up and running, and our overall goal for growth of the bank, and, you know, adding branches, acquiring other uh, banks, etc. So uh, I was instrumental around that, and you know, along the way, I actually got drugged into the asset liability committee. So I actually started getting really intimately involved with numbers. So. You know, painful experience, but good experience. That, that certainly helped me out. We ended up selling that bank. And I said, you know, I think it's about time to go back to IT full time. So I'm on my second IT company now. And, uh, you know, my main focus is actually helping CEOs and uh, CTOs actually bridge that gap and make sure that they understand each other and, uh, you know, how they're actually going to go down the road for acquisition and, and collaborate together and, you know, hopefully make them technology fueled acquisition versus, mm-hmm. you know, afterthought. So I, I, there's so many, so many questions
0: right now. I know that we're going to, for a good chunk of the conversation, we're going to be talking about it integration, how that has to do with, you know, rolling the company in that you're acquiring and how that how you can actually make sure everything works. I got to ask, why'd you start a bank? Don't <laughs> get going from it to
1: starting a bank. We, we can't glaze over that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a uh, you know, right place at the right time. Um, You know, I was actually doing a a large real estate transaction. and One of the guys was on the board already trying to get the bank started. And, uh, you know, we kind of got to talking about my background in IT. And he said, you know, we don't have uh, an IT person on the board. Uh, Would you be interested in coming to talk? So I I came in, you know, we chatted about IT, talked about their vision. Uh, It it made sense for me to to join. um, And, you know, it was a great experience, actually.
0: That's awesome. And, and which is going to be fun because I think we're going to, what I'd love to be able to unpack is like the ability to integrate companies with the right value. And like it's all the hang up of these expenses and ad that all did all wither away at the true purpose of the original intent of acquiring a business. So before we get into some of that stuff, Jake, I'm just curious. Uh, when you sold your business, I mean, in the late 90s or early early 2000s, I don't know if it was a break-fix business. And was, was there any like kind of a you know, handful of things that you learned when you went through that, that you're now applying, whether it's in conversations or on shows like this, like, what were some of the main things you go, okay, now I understand how valuations work and what's going
1: on. And this is how people should be viewing their business. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I would say as we were going through the business, I thought it was all about uh, you know learning how to manage employees in a rapid growth company. So yeah, we started the company in uh, May of uh, '99 and actually sold it two years later uh, in May of 2001. So uh, we actually had uh, ramped our revenue up to about fifty million a year, uh, had about uh, 35 employees. So in two years. It, yeah. So we were on, oh, we were okay. actually, we're actually a value added reseller slash system integrator. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we had some good relationships with um, the vendors that we worked with. Uh, you know, they fed us business you know, we did a good job and we, we continued forward. So, you know, at that point I thought it was, it was more about, you know, how to deliver technology well and grow a business with employees. And, you know, when we, we came to the uh the phase where it was actually um we were actually looking to sell you know the numbers started uh, making a whole lot more sense to me and uh, uncle ebita uh obviously became a a harsh reality um so you can't ignore so. EBITDA. all of a sudden it's like revenue
0: <laughs> revenue revenue employees wait a second EBITDA. <laughs> yeah
1: so uh I mean, so obviously- how the heck
0: did you grow from zero to 50 million in two years jake i mean come
1: on. like that's just that's crazy yeah, so, man. So fortunately we had some uh, some good capital backing and uh, had a, a good team of uh, partners that actually had some really good relationships and hmm. uh, was able to bring in some very large accounts that you know were spending a lot of money. So it was it was a, a really fun ride, um, tough ride, I mean a big learning experience and you know can't go back to to do it again this time I'm doing a little slower. Well, and why, why are you doing it, slower this time? Any, any, any uh, I'm older reason? now, right?
0: We <laughs> realize that time is actually limited. There's, there's, no matter how much you can fool yourself, there's
1: only 168 hours a week. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, back then I was uh, in my late uh, 20s, and you know now I'm in my early 50s, so uh, I don't want to run that fast. And you know, that was uh, 12, 15 hour days, uh, you know, five and six days a week, so. Yeah. I try to act smarter and uh, not work harder these days. So it's working out well. Uh, that's uh so I love it, man. So I want to, as we're kind
0: of moving towards what you're all about today and maybe I'll set some context, Jake, and then we can roll whatever direction you want to go. So I think about when I was selling IT services back in our business and we definitely did not scale from zero to 50 million that fast. I can absolutely tell you that you crushed <laughs> whatever I was doing. The, uh, But the thing is, it's so interesting, Jake, is like up until our training and how we teach valuations, there's this whole like annual income where people who own companies are trying to like suck the distributions out of the business or the perks and the salaries and not necessarily with ill intent, just like if I don't know what to do with it, everything's viewed as an expense if they don't know this whole concept of normalizing EBITs and multiples. And so- What naturally gets neglected is finance, IT, HR, all those not fun things if the visionary entrepreneur had a skill or trade or whatever it might be. And so like, it's so funny because I remember being a salesperson a decade ago going, come on, Jake, you know, spend a quarter million dollars in servers and ITs all this thing and people going, that's just coming right out of my pocket. But what happens is until at the end where you realize like, you know, people neglect these things and they think that they're just not gonna have to spend the money but they still get dinged on the value, right? So like if you put in a quarter million dollar project, it's still an add back. So you have less cash at the end of the year, but you have a less risky business. So there's this kind of mindset shift that we, we talk a lot about on this show. And technology is a huge part of that, right? Because you're doing big projects and you need it to grow and scale. But there's this concept of like, hey, if you think about your company like an asset, this is an investment, not, not just an expense. But then there's the, the area that you talk about of actually like, doing it the right way and integrating it to capture that value if you're acquiring so why don't you kind of talk through like i know i set like a big big foundation again there's not i'm not really asking a question just kind of like the things that we talk about on the show so given that and what you're doing explain how that relates to acquiring a business and how you see the the sellers neglect what's going on and how that impacts the
1: buyer sure yeah so over the uh, the years that i've been working with technology and um, you know, bringing the finance side in with the, uh, the banking. Um, I've really drilled it down to, to three different things that need to be focused on. And it doesn't matter if you're on the buy side or the sell side. So the first one is really looking at the afterthought and, and not thinking about technology and how technology can enable your business and drive your business, increase your customer experience and things like that, right? Second is looking at your overall infrastructure and realizing that nothing can actually happen without that infrastructure being able to support it. And then the third piece is actually standardization and widgetizing, you know, how you actually um, handle your technology to ensure that everything's the same, uh, it's easier to manage, it's gonna be ultimately lower cost and things like that. So, um, you know, good example, um, you know, Derek, it was a CIO that came to us uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, his CEO had just dropped on a 16 location across um, the ocean. Um, it was, I think it was uh, 10 different companies that they were actually uh, acquiring um, locations in, and it had several dozen staff members at each one. And you know, he had just gone through a implementation to create this. We'll call it a security fortress, basically Fort Knox. To you know, make sure he was focused on securing all of his assets, and, and then they they dropped this uh, new uh, acquisition on him, and he came to us in absolute panic. So we we helicoptered in, and unfortunately, what he had just built, he wasted about seventy five thousand dollars in this solution because we had to rip it out uh, because it wouldn't scale. So you know, come to find out, fast forward the uh, the CEO and executive team. Had been planning this for about nine months and never even told Derek one word about it. So, you know, if, if they had to actually, you know, started talking with him just say six months before, you know, maybe he wouldn't have purchased uh, that size of uh, security platform that he purchased. Uh, and he would have purchased one that had some growth potential. So, you know, that that little snafu cost them almost a half million dollars um, just because that gap was not bridged. So. Yeah, you know, big big problem um there. So I mean as you're actually looking at you're growing your business. Um, you know, technology has to be something that you think about. And, you know, one of the things I see in some of the smaller businesses is the, um, the technology resource, you know, they, they brought them on early on uh, when they were you know, just maybe a, a mom and pop, pop shop. Posh. Yeah, <laughs> look at that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they were, were a mom and pop shop and, you know, they're, they're invested in this resource to try to train them and things like that. And the unfortunate thing is a business gets to a, a particular size and if you haven't invested in enough training to help that person make that transition, they're going to really struggle. So we see that a lot where, you know, we have to actually come in and work with the executive team to help bridge that gap between technology. In some cases, actually augment that technology to make sure, or technologists to make sure that they're making the right decisions. They're, they're actually standardizing their capacity planning and things like that. So
0: I love it. So, and, and like one comment on that is like, you know, the difference between an IT manager and a CIO. Well, first of all, it's probably a couple hundred grand in salary, but it's also like the ability to say, well, we're not going to buy hundreds of thousands of dollars of infrastructure because we're going to be going to the cloud or we might be selling in 36, 48 months. I mean, it's just that vision and then the ability to map it out and then the financial implications of it. I mean, an IT manager doesn't get paid to know that stuff, haven't been trained. So they're just kind of doing the things that are right in front of them, making sure that everybody's lives are easier. <laughs> well,
1: in, a, in addition to that, um, you know, the IT manager um, is not an executive. And in a lot of cases, they struggle being able to communicate with a, the executive, the CEO and CFO, and you know, get out of the jargon and establish a common language where they can really communicate, get a cadence going on, get some trust established that the, you know, the CEO and CFO are comfortable dragging them along as far as what's the overall vision and making sure that that person understands how to communicate with them to talk about uh, the importance of the technology and the infrastructure and things like that as they're actually going to grow. Mm -hmm. So the, well, let's start from
0: the buyer, the the seller side, Jake, because I know you're working with, like you said, a lot with the buyers and how to integrate them. And I want to get to that, but like when you guys, I'm assuming that you're, you're seeing what happens when the people that sell what they did or didn't do over the years, right, and like the mismatch of like what they invested in and how that impacts the value that they're trying to get, so like, what do you see that sellers are doing right, wrong, or where do the things uh, really get into um, into a a place that is hard to to navigate? You know,
1: looking at some of the larger uh, companies that we're working with, it, it seems like they have an acquisition manager that they have assigned uh and that person may not even be in IT. So that's that's one of the the things I'm seeing. And obviously they don't know how to communicate with the executive team uh on the ins and outs of you know what to look for, et cetera. So we're we're actually working with the executive teams uh we bring in a a template, it's an infrastructure assessment template, such that they can actually leverage that when they're going out to buy a a new company and, Mm and collaborate with that company to make sure they understand what does their infrastructure look like? What are what are their apps uh, landscape look like? What is their user base, et cetera, et cetera? Right. So they, it's a pretty uh, exhausting um, worksheet to actually go through. But the benefit, uh, obviously, is going to help bridge that gap with understanding what they're uh, they're actually about to buy. So that that's one thing is is really bridging that gap between the technologist mm-hmm. and the executive. But the second piece is. You know, actually looking at their infrastructure, knowing that they're about to stack on a 30% increase in capacity or usage. And how are we going to actually account for that and make sure that as we bring in that new organization, they're not going to come from you know, a smaller organization where everything seemed to work fast. They go to this larger organization with expectation is going to be much better and it's way worse because they don't have the capacity uh, to actually onboard all of uh all of the, those resources but uh, for the less
0: technical uh individuals that are listening describe just because i i'm I, i've got my ideas in my head probably uh but the 30 percent capacity like what are some of the things that would break when from the buyer side, when you stack on a whole another company,
1: like when you when you say capacity, what are you referring to? So, so when we actually engage on the technology side, right? So, uh, put my jargon hat on for oh, a second. <laughs> I you gave you engage- the I gave you I gave you the permission. It's all good. <laughs> you gave me the permission. Um, so when we engage on the uh, the technology side, you know, depending on how you've actually purchased your technology is going to dictate the overall scalability of that technology. So virtualization is a big thing in today's market. If you're not virtualized today, um, the only question I have is why not? Um, Just simply because with the virtualization, it allows you to, you know, add on compute. And when I say compute, I mean, um, you know, one server, two servers, three servers, four servers that has you know, processing power and memory and um, you know, data storage and things like that, right? So um, it, in the virtual environment, if you uh, if you installed all your servers as physical servers, your scalability is gonna be limited. So let's just say that you uh, actually ran your HR system in-house and you just added on a third extra capacity. Um, that server might not be able to handle it if it was a physical server. So if you were in a virtual environment, you know, you could scale that out. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, 100%. It was a great example. And I, uh, first of all, if you have all physical servers, your IT solutions provider loves you because it's a, a dollar amount per month for every one of the physical servers that you're probably getting supported. And I I think what's so interesting, Jake, when you think about the buy and sell side of this, uh, of this you know, a huge black hole for the most part for a lot of owner operators or even private equity firms that are finance people. This technology thing, like you said, is like this secondary part, but it's one of the biggest expenses that have a huge play in the value of a business. Because like, if I look at, let's just use some basic numbers. Let's say there's a million dollars in EBITDA, 10 million revenue company, and they want 5 million for the company. So five multiple, and they haven't invested anything into their technology for 24 months cause they knew they were gonna sell. So they, you know, hardware upgrades, all these things are needed. Like if you and your team are gonna be coming and buying that company, you're going to ding them throughout that checklist, right? So like you're going to pay for it anyways and then it's gonna be a multiple of that instead of an ad back where they, if they would have paid the 250, 250 grand a year ago, it would be an ad back and they'd still have the million in EBITDA instead of just constantly chipping away because of all the stuff that you and your team on the buyer side, are going to have to invest in that's right
1: yeah so uh, that's where the black box comes in um, <laughs> so so when we're working with executives uh, we try to help the uh the ceos because i mean let, let's just face it ceos uh, if they wanted to be in technology they wouldn't be a ceo right so <laughs> uh, so with with the black box uh, what we try to do is actually create a per location Per person cost, so that they can have some quick rules of thumb that says, I'm going to go buy ten locations. That's ten times per location. I'm going to have an extra five hundred users. That's X time per user, and then they can kind of understand what that cost looks like. In addition to that, um, with that black box, we create the standards that you know, are are up to snuff for us. And then as we look at that infrastructure assessment kind of questionnaire we can actually look at, you know, have they invested in technology to the level we have? Is it, um, you know, enterprise grade equipment? How is their security posture, et cetera? Because the last thing we want to do is open up our, um, our secured environment to an unsecure um, new environment. And obviously everything goes sideways at that point, potentially.
0: Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, it's, you know, besides all the costs and just like the political posturing that people have of what systems they like, I mean, just the security potential threats are just huge. Like you said, if you don't have all the, the stuff set up on the potential acquisition side. So let's say I go back and I'm that company that wants to sell and I got the million dollars and even they trying to try get the five, maybe we'll give them six multiple right now. <laughs> the, but you come in and you and your team, what happens on the executive side, on the acquirer side, so whoever's leading the acquisition, whether you said there was a team lead or whoever it is, how does the checklist translate into conflict on the purchase price or terms? Have you I don't know if you've got a couple examples that how that manifests
1: itself into real dollars or situations? I do. So we actually um, just finished up an acquisition uh, end of last year. Uh, the and the acquisition manager, Sarah, uh, she had been used to doing acquisitions where she was on one or two locations at a time. And all of a sudden they dropped 26 locations on her across <laughs> the, across the U S. And, um, was, you know, she came to us because we hadn't been in, engaged with her executive team at the, at the moment. Uh, she came to us uh, through a referral from another company that has leveraged us quite a, for quite a while. And, um, She's was like, I don't have boots on ground. I don't have relationships. I don't have uh, technicians. Um, you know, is that something you could help with? So fortunately we have some fairly good relationships across the U.S. and we were able to parachute in resources to 26 locations uh, in about two weeks. Uh, and then the uh, second problem she actually ran into was you know, they had a, uh, a CIO that wasn't communicating with the CEO And they had some security standards where they were going to replace all of the um, laptops and network at each one of the locations. So not really a big deal when you have one or two locations, when you have 26 locations and 500 users, completely different situation. So it, it, it got into some procurement constraints, it got into... Um, some imaging constraints, some configuration constraints. And then obviously they didn't have the relationships in all these locations. And they acquired, uh, it was 26 locations in uh, four companies. So then they had you know, five different IT groups having to hash it out on who knows what uh, better. Um, so uh, No, thank you. <laughs> I do not want to be in that room. <laughs> yeah. So, so fast forward, you know, we made it through that one. Um, yeah, they they spent about a, a, an extra quarter million dollars than they uh, should have had to uh, just for the uh, last minute and weekend work and things like that. You know, but fast forward now, you know, we're on our fifth acquisition, and, and now we have a very clear cut process, a T minus schedule, getting up to the acquisition, a cadence during the acquisition, um, and resources that come in in preparation for the acquisition. So you know, she went from pulling her hair out to, you know, we're her best friend now.
0: Well, and I think it's, uh, it's so enlightening, Jake, because when you think about that progression that you just described, I mean, buyers are getting more savvy and like how this translates. So there's like the listeners on the, on the show, it's a lot, a lot of people that are wanting to eventually have a liquidation event, but there's a lot of acquiring on the way to that liquidation event for themselves too. And I think like, I don't know if uh, like when you're on those deals because you're on the uh, the technology side the 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 translation and the manifestation of these sellers that are trying to get high dollar amounts and then like that happens like you know half a million dollar quarter million dollars or half a million dollars that they ended up spending more is going to come off the purchase price or it's going to it's going to translate into some less advantageous terms for the seller and it's just so the dot like the the money is going to be spent regardless it's more about who's going to spend it. That's is it right. going to come off oh. the purchase price or is it going to come off the, the earn out or somehow it's going to get paid for?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so, for that person that is actually um, doing the sale, you know, hopefully they find a CEO that, uh, you know, just budgets uh, on the back end for IT integration and uh, then just throws it on his uh, his IT staff and the CIO and said, just figure it out. So, that would be your your best case, right? Uh, the The worst case would be, you actually negotiate and you get your payment up front and then you have your integration bonuses that happen and then you you have your earnouts on the back and it's like oh wait hang on we expected that integration was going to cost you know a hundred thousand dollars and it cost half a million dollars somebody has to pay for that we're either splitting it 50 50 or we're, we're taken out of your hide <laughs> i know right, and which so, yeah, is so. we'll oh, go ahead so, so I encourage the uh, the CEOs, hey, let's let's get this um, black box, Let's get this uh, questionnaire actually filled out so that we can understand up front, hey, the integration cost is really going to be, in you know, worst case, half million dollars and go ahead and budget that into the deal. And then in, in addition to that, maybe set it aside as an escrow per se. And then you know if they don't hit the uh, whole half million dollars, you know, the seller gets that money back if they mm-hmm. hit that or they go over it, um, you know, there's no penalty. It's uh yeah, that's that's yeah, when you think it out the right way, right?
0: <laughs> like right. <you> know, <laughs> but like you said, it's uh it's usually an afterthought. And and I think about what's what what is so you know I'm trying to explain you know give the listeners in to some insight into like the second or second or third order effect of like when this is happening and you you're trying to acquire these companies and roll them in, like especially with the private equity roll-ups right now, Jake, like, let's say I, I, I actually did this on this presentation this last week. I said, okay, so I know this PE from the roll of 18 companies in 18 months. And they went from like, you know, 800 employees to like 6,000. And I go, let's assume all of the systems integration went perfectly. You still have to integrate 18 cultures and people just laugh. They're like, and this is where like, there's some, needs to be some sort of like reality of like, unless you've been through, it, it's hard to describe. It's not the spreadsheet exercise that everything happens perfectly because when, especially with technology, Jake, and there, there's a question here, trust me, <laughs> is, uh, is, you know, when we sold our business or when I've witnessed it and been a part of it with our clients, it's like, you can sell a business, but now it's like, okay, you have different, like everybody has an opinion about how they set up their ERP system or like whether we went to this CRM or that CRM or like, cause I'm a power user with, you know, Salesforce and I'm a power user with Oracle. I mean, like it, and now it's So it's technology, but it's people that are using it, and they're going to be positioning and posturing for job security. I mean, just the political jar, junk that comes out of that is just. What is your experience with the
1: people meeting the technology? Yeah, so so fortunately, I don't work in HR, so I don't have to deal with <laughs> all of that. However, I can certainly tell you that uh, you know, when when we go through acquisitions you know, the, the different applications and the user experiences, you know, let's just face it, users don't like change, right? So, you know, whether you're merging two companies or, or 10 companies, um, you know, applications is going to be a, a major issue, whether it is you know, your email platform, your your file collaboration platform, or your ERP, or your HR platform. You know, we, we actually engage with a... Uh, uh, large uh, AV manufacturer, they were, they were right at a billion dollar company, and they had had acquired seven companies, and you know the things that they actually went through that were pain points, uh, in my opinion, the the most was they now had seven ERP systems that they had to <laughs> had to Jeez. think about, um, and being a manufacturer. Obviously, you're the acquiring company, you want to make sure that you can offer all of those products to all of the different audiences, right? So they, they came into a situation where uh, you know they were an East Coast company, and they bought companies across the US. And they had catalogs on the East Coast versus the West Coast that they were sourcing you know, across the US, complete waste of cost from a logistic perspective. And the two systems uh, did not integrate, right? So they had problems with swivel chair orders and the manpower things that went into that. So that was one. And the second was, you know, they bought these uh, smaller businesses where they were using consumer grade grade network equipment and they had to bring that into their infrastructure and firewall that off and make sure they didn't uh, expose themselves to some security threats it was a a massive um, expense that was an afterthought
0: well it's so interesting jake because if you were to i bet you if you were to pull like a huge group of business owners and you'd say okay what do you think is the biggest threat to the value of your company most people would say like reoccurring revenue or largest customer is a huge percentage of my business well i the thing that, like you said, it's an afterthought of the technology. Where I don't know if you got examples of like where the technology, infrastructure, security, software, whatever it is that could, like, like the black swan. It's not a black swan because this is for you because you see black swans all the day. But like for someone that's not
1: thinking about this, where do they normally surface? Um, probably on the security side. So uh, let's say that you're running a business and you know, you, you have a, a good customer base and. Those customers are leveraging your system for processing transactions and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden you get hit with ransomware and you're shut down, right? So depending on what your overall uh, security posture was and business continuity plans and things like that, you could go from a you know, $100 million business today into a $50 million business tomorrow just because you didn't implement you know common sense IT security practices. Right, so so we actually have a, a company we're we're consulting with post ransomware right now, and um, yeah, you know, they've actually they were actually approached by a good actor via LinkedIn saying, "Hey, you guys are, are are vulnerable to this particular bug," and they slept it off. And then a little bit later, they reached back out to them and said, "Hey, here's your username and password." So the CO freaks out. Every, everybody has to change their passwords. Well, guess what? They change their passwords and you still got the vulnerability. Right? right. So fast forward another few weeks, they get hit by ransomware because someone came in through this vulnerability, infected the system and took them down. They were down for almost 12 weeks. They're still fighting, getting systems back up. So, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of going back to the drawing board with them. Uh, to talk about you know technology and infrastructure and standardization, security practices, et cetera. So um, yeah, that business, I mean, I don't even know how much money they lost during that window of time, but oh, they I can't even imagine. And, and their cybersecurity did not cover all of the costs associated with getting them back up and running. So yeah, I, I think security today um, is even more of a, a challenge given that you know there's so many remote workers right now all of a sudden oh you have, have somebody sitting on a home network you know surfing god knows what and then they vpn into your uh, connection and wham
0: it's so crazy jake that you mentioned that because last march i literally was just like oh my god there's like a hundred million people going home to sit on their comcast modem with no yep. firewalls or ABM going this is like China and
1: Russia's dream come true. <laughs> yeah, and, and for the, um, you know, for the, the common end user, um, you yeah, know, that's a problem, right? I mean, obviously they've been used to being protected behind firewalls and protected with additional security software and automation and things like that. And then they get at home and, yeah, you know, they're not thinking anything. So that that's where it comes in. You definitely bolster your security posture. So let's talk about from a from a
0: standardization, like setting yourself self up to be able to acquire and roll people in effectively. So, like, if you were sitting down, let's say, let's say there was a private equity firm or a big corporation that's going to or whatever size corporation. Anybody that's listening in, that wants to go on an acquisition strategy, what do they? Start, how do you like? What would you say to them and how would you kind of lay out that roadmap of what they should be doing in order to actually do this correctly and that's and what i want just to clarify too it's before jake that due diligence checklist so that's like all the work that needs to go ahead so that way when they go into that they can actually weigh what is the potential acquisition against what they've what they've built
1: yeah so that the, clearly there's a lot of work that goes into being able to put specific numbers down based on location and based on users, right? So when you start looking at standardization of your you know your equipment as far as your um, your network equipment, your your desktop servers, you know, all of the, the components that make up you know a location, if you don't standardize, you can't really have a you know a magic number where this is how much it's going to cost. And actually if, if you create your standardization, you can say, hey, this is going to be the worst case per location. Hopefully, it's not as bad, right? And then when you start looking at the overall standardization of applications, um, that's going to impact you. And then how you actually roll out applications, um, how you roll out your infrastructure, how scalable that infrastructure is going to be, right? So, you know, the, um, that AV company that we actually worked with, uh, we actually came in with them Uh, On their second acquisition, uh, the first one went horrific. Um, The second one we actually engaged and we said, Hey, Joe, we need to, uh, we need to pause real quick and we need to actually create your black box and so that we can actually widgetize what bringing on a new location was. So as part of that, you know, he had to look in the mirror and say, well, hang on a second. I don't have standardizations across the locations I have right now. Right. So, you know, we went into an exercise with them to standardize what they actually had. And then, obviously, as they were plugging in, it made it a whole lot easier to just plug on, plug on. And we moved them into cloud based uh, compute and cloud based management and things like that to get things out of their their building that um, they were in here locally. How many people that are looking um, to do acquisitions or in the middle of them don't have the right staff to do that? So since I'm working on the buy side, mainly, um, you know, what I see is, is a company that, um, you know, they've grown and they kept the same IT staff. So it's not uncommon to come in an and organization, let's say they're in year seven or eight, uh, and they've been on an upward trajectory to have the same guy running IT as they have when they started. That is the most frustrating thing that uh, I I personally run across is to have someone that has no enterprise experience, no executive communication skills, and tries to go on the cheap for everything because they're scared to ask their boss for money, right? So getting into those situations, we come across that way too Mm -hmm. often. And Mm -hmm. uh, in those particular cases, you know, we traditionally recommend bringing in a local partner that actually helps out with you know, transformations and things like that. Uh, and in some cases, we actually engage our team to to help bridge that gap between uh, actually that technology gap, right? Because when you're coming from small business to you know more enterprise level, I mean everything costs more, um, but that re- that increase in cost. Hopefully, um, comes with a reduction in manageability cost. Well, and an increase
0: in value of the business that they own too. And this is where, like, if you think about the the, the domino effect of what you just described, Jake. You, so the IT manager doesn't like to ask for money because they've been beaten into submission for year for those seven years that you talked about. And why is that? Well, because the owner is going. Well, that's coming out of my cash flow, and so like I don't want to do that stuff until we have to do that stuff. And when, like, I just watch when you shift, like if if you shift your mindset and every owner thinks about their business, like a financial asset and what it could be worth, it's more about how does this investment pay off so that owner shouldn't be, it's not about the flashy object, it's about like streamlining and de-risking your business. So that way it's worth more money. So it's not an expense, it's just this whole shift in mindset and you could eliminate all that crap you're talking about.
1: So two things, one, it's a cost of doing business. Right, <laughs> it's How just <laughs> um, so. You know, for those of you that are looking to actually grow through acquisition or you know, grow organically and sell, you know, it is a necessary evil first. But if you change your mindset and change it to "Hey, we're going to have technology fueled growth." And we're going to leverage technology to actually automate processes, reduce our overall uh, cost associated with doing business. We're going to increase our customer experience, which is going to bring repeat customers, more profitable customers, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that's what we're all about is technology fueled acquisition. I love it.
0: So how do you find if, if the people listening in, how do you find that person that can bridge that gap between their vision of their business and where they want to go and how technology actually plays that role? Because I think that's some of the biggest disconnects is like, okay, I understand, Jake, like I'm trying to grow this to this, but like, I don't know from a from a technology perspective, the cost or when and the, how the timeline rolls out or how that even fits into the plan. Right, so first,
1: uh, the CEO and CFO They don't know how to interview an IT person. Now That would be the first thing. So just accept that. You don't know. You're going to be more successful actually partnering with a local IT company that has track record in growth, right? So I see a lot of times companies are are actually focused on getting a local resource for the cheapest price. And they actually try to do everything. It's better to actually get a partner that works with the executive team and directs their staff to do the things they can, and if they can't, brings in resources that can actually help with the transition. You know, to get them to a place where they have the opportunity for you know, rapid growth. Super,
0: super good insights, Jake. Because I think, yeah, and even with the the providers too. I mean, like even locally, I think a lot of business owners have have a hard time picking a provider. Like, oh, I just need help. desk. is twenty bucks per user? It's like that's Geek Squad. This is different. This is CIO. You're trying to tap into that CIO level of thinking. Any kind of, you know, uh, insights on what would be what, how
1: to identify a good partner? So there, there are uh, fractional CIOs out there for hire. Um, you can traditionally find them on LinkedIn. Um, those those guys will help you out quite a bit. Uh, one thing that I I would say is you know when you're actually hiring an IT professional is to look at their background. So if they've been at let's say two organizations over the last 20 years that's not a resource you want that's for sure because they they have two perspectives uh that they the can networks that's right right <laughs> yeah you know, if you look at somebody that has been in consulting and has been at a number of different organizations that person's going to be a better fit for you um but then there's uh there's also a difference between the technologies. There's an application technologist that grew up in the application world. And then there is a infrastructure technologist that grew up in the infrastructure world, right? So if you bring in an infrastructure technologist, the good thing about that resource is they unfortunately have to learn the applications because the finger is always pointed at the network. <laughs> That's the first piece. So uh, an infrastructure uh, resource is gonna be Um, much more self-sufficient than an application resource. So if you, if if, let's say you're an e-commerce organization, an application technologist actually might be a better fit for you, but he or she is going to need to be augmented by an infrastructure technologist to make sure that those speeds and fees coming to and from the application are going to be sufficient to be able to deliver that customer experience that you want.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I interviewed this gentleman um, a couple months ago, Jake, his name was Joel, and we talked about like how to hire, like the, if you're the CEO, how to hire a CIO, CFO, VP of sales when you don't know all the technical stuff in it. And, you know, I, it, it was so insightful because he said the the best way is if you can find these executives and it's their ability to predict the future with a, a certain degree of accuracy. That's how you hire those people. And if you think about like, what we said, the technology versus application, you know, back a decade ago when I was doing that, the IT stuff, I mean, no one knew the difference. It was just IT and everybody's fault. And it's like, you know, I, I so many times I go into these companies, I'm like, you just bought like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gear and you're going to the cloud with your earpiece system next year. You shouldn't have done that. And I'm just like, and they're like, oh my God, how did not, no one told me. And I'm like, well, because like, this is just absurd that no one's like looking a little bit into the view.
1: Sure. Yeah, that, that's funny. We we actually have a, a success story where uh, we engaged with a CTO. His name was Mark, and uh, really smart guy. And uh, you know, he was going into his first acquisition, and he probably could have done it by himself, but he had talked to the CEO into letting him get a little bit of, of assistance. So he he actually brought us in. Just a few questions later, he saved two million dollars right so <laughs> that goes back to that uh, that comment you just made about you're moving your erp to the cloud and you just spent all this money on infrastructure so for for him in his case they were just about to sign a three-year agreement that was going to lock them into um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money and we're like whoa, whoa, whoa time out we're about to make all of these changes and you're about to just signed away your life. So uh, we actually saved them a couple know, million dollars in just a few questions. Uh, did some IT
0: salesperson find you, hunt you down, and then, <laughs> well, you're here. So obviously they didn't, <laughs> they didn't get you, but that, I mean, that it's, it's crazy because people just like this, it's all about the salesperson's commission. I mean, if you think about like the vendors, the v- value added resellers, whoever's talking to you, their incentive is to sell you shit.
1: Yeah. So yeah, um, <laughs> Obviously, I was a systems integrator and value-added reseller, so I always like to look at the the VIA leans one of two ways. It either leans toward the customer and making sure that the customer is taken care of, or it leans toward the manufacturer, and the manufacturer gets as much gear or as much software as they can into this, um, this company at the highest profitability, right? So my team and I actually take the approach where we want to lean toward the customer side and make sure that they understand how to actually buy. So we actually get into some coaching on how to buy. And if if uh, the organization is buying from you know, one of the large organizations that really don't have local resources, but they have a rep that's tagged to you, going through an acquisition literally right now it's, it's a large warehouse they're acquiring and they're going to put all new infrastructure in. The equipment was just delivered. We just got an email a few minutes ago and the, uh, uh, the lead technologist was like, how exactly did we order this equipment that doesn't work for the scenario? And that comes into you're buying from a large organization that doesn't have your best interests in mind. So if they have a catalog online, they probably don't have your best interest in mind. It's so true, man. And,
0: and it's like, you know, I've learned, that it's unfortunate you have to learn so much about this to just look out for yourself. But I think it. this all goes back to like, if you have a plan, you say, this is where I'm going, this is why we're going there from the revenue for your company, the revenue, client acquisition, client experience, and that drives all the way down. It should be, It should be fairly simple to sit down with your IT partner or technologist to say, this is where we're going what do we need to be supported to get there, right? I mean, right. it's just like this foresight. It's amazing how few people, Jake, have like an actual budget and ca- cash flow statement years out to say like, and here's where we're going and what do we, does the cost structure actually reflect where we're going? There's this like, I think this denial that people have of like, we're just going to do this at the same cost that we've always done it just to, to collect more margin. It just always comes back to bite you.
1: Yes, Absolutely.
0: So I know we're getting close to the wrapping up here. So the the lifeguard. What, what's the actual? Why don't you yeah
1: say it. What, I, what was the what's behind it? I, I know it's a tongue twister. Um, it's actually theacquisitionlifeguards.com. If you want to reach out to us forward slash growth, right? So I'm the the chief acquisition lifeguard, and um, yeah, you know, I, I lead a, lead a team of lifeguards that you know, are constantly uh, saving executives from the, you know, the ocean, the big ocean. I love it. And, it's uh, and, and it really gets in, Gets down to, um, you know, the, the three simple things, you know, making sure technology is not an afterthought, making sure you focus on your infrastructure and make sure you standardize you know what you're doing, because that's ultimately going to drive your business. I love it, Jake. And uh, there's
0: a question that I always ask everybody about what does the word intentional mean to them? Because I love it. It's the name of the show. It's the name of our training program. What does the word intentional mean to you? 100% commitment. Ooh, I like
1: it. Absolutely.
0: I like it. I use that word frequently. Hundred percent. What does that mean to you? Hundred percent commitment. And what is it, what is it, the like? And when it, you can't have ninety nine, and yeah. what's the difference? Not,
1: well, not not for me, right? So I, I fully intend and I'm in, in, intentional uh, to, that I'm actually going to get something done. So when I actually commit to it, I'm very intentional about making sure I follow through. Jake, this has been an absolute
0: blast, man. I'm glad you were able to come on the show and I merged two of my worlds talking about t- technology and
1: IT and uh, finance and acquisitions. <laughs> no problem, man. I greatly appreciate you having me on and uh, uh, definitely would love to come back another day. It was a great conversation.
0: Thanks for tuning in. And if you're still listening, you geeked out on that. Here's the big Takeaway. Technology and your infrastructure is not super fun always to invest in, but it's necessary to continue to grow the value of your company, protect yourself, protect yourself from compliance, vulnerabilities and you need to standardize and have a technology strategy. So if you're looking to acquire, you can figure out how to acquire that business and those operations and then suck that into your operations and your technology and make sure that your infrastructure can handle the new acquisition with all the users and the the workload that's going to be on your company's infrastructure. If you're looking to sell, Do not skimp on investing in your infrastructure or technology in order to take more cash home and just place that risk on the buyer because the buyer is going to spot that. The buyer is going to figure out that they need to invest to bring everything up to snuff or to make it up to par with what their infrastructure is. Super tactical episode, but these are necessary things that you need to do to grow a valuable business, acquire companies, and make it successful to get the rate of return or to yield the highest enterprise value when you go to sell and protect yourself in the due diligence process. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you next week.